On today's episode, we have Jen Walsh. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist and holistic cannabis practitioner from California. Jen specializes in gut health, food sensitivities, cannabis therapy, and uses a holistic root cause approach to nutrition and wellness. In her practice, she combines medicinal cannabis therapy along with individualized nutrition coaching and food sensitivity testing to help her clients beat bloat, improve digestion, and feel amazing. You can find her on Instagram at the period, renegade period dietitian. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you. So I'd love to just jump in and get the listeners acclimated about your story. So can you talk about where you started and compare where you started to where you are now? Yeah. So I started out in community nutrition. I work in a clinic, a federally qualified health center. And while I see basically every condition you can think of, and it's given me a lot of really good experience and definitely a good foundation, it didn't really give me too much experience and too much ability to work with specifically gut health and food sensitivities because in the in westernized medicine that's kind of like a really really niche area and there's not a lot of answers in western medicine or conventional medicine so I was really limited with what I could do with that and so I just decided that I wanted to start my own practice and really hone in on that because I felt like it was such an area that was needed but it wasn't really being addressed in you know, conventional medicine practice. So now having since started that, I see mostly people who have any sort of digestive issue, you know, like anything from like bloat or like other, I call them just pooping problems, you know, (laughs) they're so broad, but then also food sensitivities, things with like their skin or their, you know, they have like constant anxiety, things like that. So what's great about gut health is that it's so broad that really it encompasses so much. So I'm still seeing a lot of different things, but it's all under the gut health umbrella, so to speak. Yeah. I think a lot of listeners can totally relate to being in a job where they wish they had the ability to help people. And oftentimes you're limited just based on your work situation. So kudos to you for pursuing your interests and starting your private practice so you could serve people on this higher level. Thank you. And can you share a little bit more about the type of client you work with? I would say maybe the clients that you work with most often and what your current niche is. Yeah. So most of the clients I work with are young professionals, you know, in their early thirties, late twenties, they've probably done some sort of diet before like whole 30 paleo keto. They've, you know, gone gluten free maybe for a while or something. They've tried all of the trendy things because they heard that it helps your gut health, but it hasn't really helped them enough. They haven't really gone specific and individualized enough, but they have an idea of what the, what they need to do. And and they've probably tried something. And then, you know, I live in California. A big part of my practice is cannabis. And so most of the people I work with have either tried cannabis before, or they're interested in trying it because they've heard that it could help them with whatever anxiety or pain or some sort of issue that they're dealing with. They've heard that cannabis would help them. So I kind of help them a, you know, figure out what, what that is and how to use it and not, uh, and kind of get over their fear of whatever or or trepidation to using cannabis because maybe they just, they want to use it, but they're not sure how to. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool. The fact that you're essentially helping people manage their symptoms, not only with nutrition, but with the cannabis piece. 
And of course, people who are embarking on this journey to address those symptoms are often confused. Like you listed a whole bunch of different particular diets that your ideal client has gone on. And being able to just get that individualized guidance and support is instrumental in their overall success. Yeah, absolutely. And can you share with us if your niche has evolved and was this where you started and you kind of landed on it and you're like, I'm riding this all the way home? I think it's kind of, you know, it started off really big. I think I was like, oh, I just want to help people learn how to use cannabis. And then at that time I was kind of going through my own gut issues where, you know, it's funny as an RD, you, you think you are so aware of what's going on, but then you realize, wow, like I actually am dealing with certain things and I, I actually don't have the best, you know, I have pooping problems or whatever. And so, you know, while I was dealing with my own food sensitivity testing journey and kind of figuring out and honing in on my digestion and my nutrition, then I was like, you know, there's a really big area for this. I need to really hone in on, on how these two intersect because I, I've used cannabis for over 10, probably over 10 years now um, to manage stress and anxiety. And I started using it more directed toward to, you know, help my symptoms with my digestion. And I was like, wow, this is really great. There's, there's a really big potential here. This is what I want to help people do. And so that kind of like was a natural progression of what, of what I'm doing now. Yeah. I particularly like that you, you really connect with your ideal client and having that level of empathy and understanding makes it all the more worthwhile for someone to work with you because you truly understand what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and starting your private practice, especially coming from the community nutrition sphere, have you just kind of always had this dream and just decided to act on it after the years of working in that setting? What made you decide to take the leap and take your business to the next level? So at the clinic I work at, I'm the only dietitian there and they basically created a position in which I came into my boss, you know, really values. She's a pediatrician, but she's a CMO of the of organization and she really values nutrition. And so she created the position for me to come in on. I have been there a couple of years. I've pretty much, you know, built the entire department. I've done all the SOPs. I've done everything that comes in with the, with the entire nutrition department from billing to insurance to like literally every, every practice, everything I've developed. And so when it came time after a couple of years to ask for a raise and, you know, some sort of like, you know, I'm really contributing to this organization. I really want to grow the organization. She went to HR and came back and said, you know, HR says that you're tapped out, like you're at the max that you're already going to be at. We don't really have anything else for you, you know, and it kind of left it at that. And so that kind of told me like, well, I've only been in, in this job for two years. I've done so much building here. I've pretty much built a, biz a business, so to speak, within this organization, right? Because I've started it from scratch. If I can't get the kind of money I want in clinical and in my job, I'm going to go do it elsewhere. I'm going to just build it and do it for myself. And so that kind of like pushed me to really start my LLC, really start figuring out how to market myself on Instagram, how to do everything that, you know, I was already doing in person in a clinic, but through a virtual lens, so to speak. Yeah. You know, thank you so much for being vulnerable. I know oftentimes people have those moments in their job where they're like, wow, really? I've met the, the income ceiling 
There's yeah. no way to break through it. And they're thinking very much like you, Jen, like, well, there has to be another way. I, I, you put in a lot of effort. You put in a lot of time. Not only have you been like a, a big contributor in terms of sweat equity, as it sounds like the billing, the SOPs, but right. also like doing your job too, which is like so interesting that HR couldn't meet you at that next level that you deserve. So it's, it's under, it's understandingly really hard to make that decision to go into private practice, but I appreciate that you saw your value and the importance of like making what you absolutely deserve to make. I think it's just systemic in, in all of RD's positions across the country. We're, we're completely underpaid in clinical positions. I think, you know, a lot of RDs are, are trepidatious about asking for raises to begin with or taking something. They, they tend to take wages less than what they deserve. So it's hard to, to move through that. And I live in the Bay Area. It's not cheap to live here. So, you know, like I'm just so stubborn. I was not going to take no for an answer. So if I had to take no from an, for an answer from then, I, I was going to go do it myself somewhere else, you know? Oh, love it. Yeah. The Bay Area <laughs> is definitely not cheap. Yeah. You need to make all the money, all the coins need to be in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I appreciate that you recognize that there was some power in building your brand online and going from a clinical setting while having all of those systems and understanding how that works. Oftentimes the transition online can be jarring for some people. And once they get online, they need to build no like, and trust. So for the listeners out there that are coming from a clinical setting and they're starting their practice online, can you provide them two tips for how they can effectively build that no like trust factor? I think the first one, and this one was really hard for me to come to terms with because I'm, you know, my focus is cannabis. That's kind of like a taboo topic, but I really had to own it. I think you have to find something that makes you, you and really own it because there might be some people that, you know, frown upon it, but then there's going to be people that are like, wow, that's really cool. And that's really gutsy. And I really, I like that because no one else is talking about that. And I have all these questions, but no one to really talk about that with. Like if you're getting your, your advice for how to use cannabis from a, from a bud tender or, or just your homie down the street, like you may be getting legit advice, but you might not. So it uh, hits a little different coming from someone who's a health professional who, who really has your, your health and your wellness at their best interest. So yeah, like I said, the first one would definitely be finding something that makes you you and sticking to it and not trying to do all the things all at once. I think yeah. like, fit, do one thing first and then, you know, build on top of that. I think that was hard for me because I like to multitask. I like to do everything all at once. I like my, I'm like, my attention span is short, so I'm doing all the things. And that's just like, I was running in place essentially. So I really had to like, okay, what is my roadmap going to be? What is my first step? And then, you know, kind of build from there. Yeah. I, I love that you noted that being gutsy is like such an incredible key piece into tackling this online space because you're so, so right when you said that so many people are just very timid and worried about the judgment that might be potentially passed, like you're doing something, as you said, that might be taboo, instead of just owning it, because there, there are going to be people out there that are already seeking the answers to those questions. Why not it be you that gives them the right answer? I love that. Such a yeah, great framing. Exactly. Thank you. 
Yeah. And with all of that in mind, and it's clearly worked for you, you've been able to build your practice using Instagram. Can you share with the listeners how much money you have made? So over the course of this year, I really started getting serious about my business in the early summer. So around May. And since May, I've made close to $20,000. My biggest month was over $12,000. And I, that was when I was having an active launch. I was just hustle, hustle, hustle. And since then, I actually just had a baby about three weeks ago. So I was like, kind of things kind of slowed down once it got closer to my due date. But since then, I've had consistent three to five thousand dollar months. So I definitely had like a big hit at first. But like I said, I kind of like pulled back a little bit, but I've still seen a lot of success, you know, and consistent success using the methods that we've that, that I learned in Dietitian Bus. Wow. Congratulations. Double congrats on your sales Thank goal you. and your new baby, your new bundle of joy. Thank you. Yeah. She's amazing. It's, it's amazing, but really yeah. tough work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. I, I bet. So what are some of your next financial goals that you have set for yourself? So since I already hit that big, that big month, that's like my next life. Okay. I got to hit that again or mm-hmm. beat it you know, the competition is, isn't really with anyone else. It's always just with myself in in every aspect. So now I'm like, all right, Jen, you can do this, do it again, or do it again and do it more. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's my next goal. And I think, you know, I'm working towards kind of moving towards a group model. So still having my primarily right now I'm doing one-on-one clients, but I think I still want to do one-on-one because I really like the interaction and really like developing those relationships with my clients and really, really getting to know them and working closely with them. So I think I'll move into a group model as well and do both and kind of offer both. And then, yeah, it goes, goes from there. My ultimate goal, like my five, 10 year goal is I want to open like a market like slash restaurant that only focuses on special diets. So people who have, you know, like food sensitivities and things like that, and then somehow get them to be considered medically tailored so they can be paid with by insurance. And so that's kind of like my big goal is that I want to, you know, use this to kind of work into opening like a physical location where I actually um, can have people come there and get their meals, you know, as a medically tailored meal. That's my, that's my long-term goal. Whoa. Mind blown. That is genius. <laughs> you should have maybe kept that to yourself. You got to go like, <laughs> I hope you've like gotten some of the key phrases in the market stuff, like trademark and stuff. That's incredible. What an amazing goal. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, I just, I've, I worked in food service for so long, like that my background is in, I was a server for a long time. I worked in the grocery stores. I just, I have a really long history in food service and I love food. I just love working with food. So clinical is awesome because I think having that clinical knowledge and that clinical base is what really makes RDs different than just, you know, a nutritionist because we really have that how do we, how to interpret labs and how to really translate what the food aspect into like clinical outcomes. But my heart lies with, with food service. I just love cooking. I love watching people cook. I love learning how to cook. I love working with food. I love like, you know, being active at my job, like sitting at a desk is a hard thing to do. It's like a hard thing to learn how to do for, for all day. You know, for a long time, I was like, just walking around at my job. So I really miss that. So I think that would be like owning a physical location like that would be a cool way to combine the two together. 
Yeah. Wow. I can't wait to follow up with you in a few years and hear all about it because that's game changing. We need more of that. The food first is healing approach is so profound and yet it's so underrated. Yeah. And it's universal. Everybody eats. So, you know, I think it's a really awesome way to connect with people. And then when you can tailor it to their needs, I think that really also just people will love that. So for sure. And with the money that you've made so far, what has it afforded you? So I have been saving it or investing it back in my business. So I've invested in a lot of mentorships over the course of the past few months. I'm getting like my, um, my practice able to take insurance. I'm really trying to use that money to, to really put it back in my business and, and grow that. So I think I've paid myself like, I don't know, maybe a thousand dollars of, of my entire revenue from what I've made. And that went to paying for like, I want to become a, a certified practitioner in integrative and functional medicine. So like the IF, IFNCP certification is what I've kind of like treated myself with. And I've been able to do that because I'm still making a salary from my job. So I'm, you know, really playing it safe, really trying to build my business up before I kind of see any return from it so that I can keep it going longer. And it's a hard, it's been hard to do that because I would really like to, there's some things I want to buy, but. Oh, I know. You just want to do like this with a stack of hundreds, right? Just like buy whatever you want. (laughs) I know, I know. But no, one of the best decisions an entrepreneur can make, a dietitian boss can make is reinvesting in education, reinvesting it back into the business because yeah, just being very forward thinking, thinking of that long-term goal of like being able to open up that market and restaurant, you know, a big part of mm-hmm. that is laying the foundation now. So kudos to you for keeping the money where it matters. Thank you. So a lot of people listening are often like blown away by numbers like I've made 20K, I'm bringing in a consistent three to 5K months. And oftentimes it stems from existing hangups around money. And sometimes for people who don't have hangups, it's not like a big deal, but can you share some money stories, whether it's like you had a positive experience or maybe some hangup that you had to work through when starting your own practice? So I think, you know, we've all heard the saying like money doesn't grow on trees or, you know, just kind of having that fear that whatever, whatever you have, you're going to lose. And so, and while I understand that, you know, and I don't, I don't think we need to be all frivolous with everything. I think what you put out into the universe will come back to you. So when I'm making decisions on how to spend the money from, from my business, it's really just about what will get me the most return and what will, how will this come back to me? And so that's why just right now it's not about, you know, buying nice things or, and I, I still have debt from school, but I'm not even using that right now to pay off my debt. I'm really trying to think about the long term and making this a sustainable business. So that's why I've decided to still invest it back in and save so that I can continue to grow it. Whereas, you know, you might, the smart thing or what people might think I should do or, or what people might do with it is to, to pay off the debt, pay off your school loans. And yeah, you know, it's tempting to, but I really want to like continue to, to build it and have something to work with rather than, you know, okay, I've made this, this good amount of money and then now I'm going to use it to pay it off. And then if I have any other mentorship or thing that I want to get or, or pay for now, I don't have that 
to, to do that with. And so it's kind of like a balancing act of what will get you the most return for the goal, you know? So that's why I think, you know, I have, I have separate bank accounts for it. I don't even have like a debit card really. I just kind of like keep it all completely separate so that it's not really tempting to, to touch it or anything. Yeah. You make such important points and like salient points that a lot of people don't often think about when it comes to money. And it's that framing of, okay, if I have this money, I could do something like pay off the debt, but it's not, the return is really you sleep better at night because now your debt is like X amount less. Or you could frame it as I can take this money and learn a skill or improve some aspect of my business that could have a return tenfold. And that tenfold could mean you pay down your debt quicker. I love that framing because a lot of people don't think about it that way. They just like, I've got this money, I have this debt versus how can I turn this money into more money? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> now that you've um, you figured that out for yourself and you've gotten to this point where you've leveraged Instagram to grow your business, I would love for you to like walk us through how exactly you use Instagram to market your services to clients. Oh girl, I've done all the things on Instagram. <laughs> I've done all the hashtags. I've done all the, you know, DM, cold DMs, warm DMs, all of it. So I think it's just really figuring out what works for you and your personality. But at the beginning, it was really just making content of things I liked. Oh, I like this. This kind of goes with what I'm talking about. I'm going to make it. I'm going to post it. Now it's really about, okay, what are the pain points that my client is feeling? What do they want to learn about? What are the questions that I've been getting in DMs specifically from clients? How can I turn that into content and get the conversation rolling? The way I think of it is like Instagram is like a mall. So when you're, you can either be at the mall shopping, you know, like you're browsing, you're, you're doing your Christmas shopping or whatever, or you're at your kiosk and you're hustling. You're like talking to people as they're walking by. You're, you know, those guys that have the hair straighteners that like always like, like talk to you as you come by, like, and they like literally want to straighten your hair and they're just like trying to get you to buy this straightener. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. I'm trying to get people to buy my product. I'm being like so pushy, but in like a nice way. I want people to think it's their idea Whereas it's really my idea, right? I'm really trying to put that idea in their head, but I'm not browsing. So, but, and, that, and that's how I think of it. Like when I'm at, when I'm online, when I'm on Instagram, when I'm scrolling, am I either browsing? Am I shopping at the mall or am I at the kiosk trying to get people to buy my stuff? So that's kind of how I look at it. Whereas like, cause it can be really easy to go through and just scroll, scroll, scroll. And you're like, Oh my God, an hour and a half's gone by. I haven't done anything. I was supposed to make, I was supposed to be researching hashtags. Now I'm just on some random person's page. Like it's really easy to get, go down the rabbit hole. That's how I like to think of it is, you know, Ooh. am I that guy with the hair straightener or am I, or am I browsing? <laughs> So funny you bring that up. I felt that. I'm here in Chicago and every mall has that dude with the hair straightener with, yeah. the, special, with the special straightening serum. That's like a thing. <laughs> it, must totally. be a, it must be a franchise or something. Yeah. Jokes aside, I love that analogy. I already know that's going to end up on the feed as like a pull quote from this interview. So profound not approaching Instagram as like a window shopping, you're just a mall browser, tackling it as you're a kiosk person, pushing that hair straightener that is your business, but doing it in a way where it's like, it's, it's a gentle sale. You're giving them what they need. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. I mean, I have, they can't really see me, but I have long curly hair that's frizzy at times. So I'm a perfect, I'm their ideal client. They see me coming by. They're like, this chick knows that she needs, she, this chick wants to straighten her hair. And they, they, I'm telling you, when I was in high school, they would get me every time. Like, yeah, come, come do that one spot or I'll buy your straightener. I'll tell my mom to buy me the straightener. Now I don't really care, but you know, I'm definitely their ideal client. So I feel it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And now that you've started approaching Instagram in this manner and not just randomly perusing and ending up on a random page, like, how are you like building out this content? Like what's your strategy for being efficient in that process? So I'm looking at what people are asking me. So, you know, if I'm doing any polls or anything in my stories, what kind of questions are people asking me? I'm also doing research on places like Reddit. Like if I go on to like, a, like our, our nutrition or somewhere like that, what kind of questions are people asking on there? And how can I, you know, get some ideas from other, other parts of the interwebs that people are looking for information? Facebook groups, things like that. Just what, what are people asking about? And also, you know, looking at what, what, what's doing well on other people's Instagram pages, you know, gut health and nutrition or, um, isn't really that like new. There's a ton of gut health dietitians out there. So what are they doing? You know, like what's working for them and then how can I kind of like turn that in and look at that through my own lens and my own kind of, you know, method, like, you know, no one else is doing gut health and cannabis. So how can I kind of relate that together? And then, like I said, I, I, I love the like food and, uh, you know, food service background too. So how can I kind of like use those questions and talk about it from a food perspective? Yeah, that's super, super helpful. Cause I think most times people get started in their business and they're just like, how do I create content? So you just listed like so many amazing ideas looking at Reddit threads, which is really helpful. And what I really appreciate that you said is that you look at your competitors, but you look at it through your own unique lens. Because I hear all the time from new dietitian bosses kind of starting out in the program, someone's already doing that, but they're not you. They don't have your experiences. They don't have your perspective. They're not going to use your words. So I adore that you framed it that way because oftentimes people like don't want to look at their competitors because it like triggers them or they have this like comparative, like comparison itis that goes through them. But I like it from a, you know, be encouraged by it and just recognize that you are an individual and how you're going to help someone is going to be so different that there is no competition outside of the competition with yourself. Right. And I think it comes down to like the question you asked me earlier, like, what was my niche and my messaging and how, you know, what's the tip to like get on Instagram is if you really know who you are and, and what you're, what you're about and where you're coming from, then it becomes easier to do that. I definitely struggled with it and still do at times too. You know, it's hard to not get that comparisonitis or feel like, oh, that person did that. So I should do it too. And they did it in this way. So I should do it the exact same way. But, you know, if you're really stick to like, know that how, how would Jen do it and how am I going to do this in my way, then then that's what's going to help you. Because like I said, there's a ton of gut health nutritionists on Instagram. We're all going to be doing something around the same thing. But what people are going to relate to is your own thing that you're doing it that makes you you. You know, if you're if everyone's offering the same thing, like, yeah, no one's really going to want to pick you over the other person. But if you're like, no, I'm doing it this way. And this is, you know, my take on it, then someone's going to, people are going to relate to that. 
Yes, it's all about putting your own spin on it, having your own take and just being super clear and how you help people in your own unique way. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I would love for you to also share with the listeners, especially since we're talking about content creation and putting your own unique spin on it. Obviously, that was a process and you didn't start there. So can you kind of do like a little comparison for us, what your IG feed looked like before compared to how it looks now, having that more targeted messaging? Yeah, I would say at first, you know, it was kind of like random pictures of me where, you know, maybe like the picture didn't necessarily go with the content. It was just like a picture of me. And then maybe like I was talking about like something about cannabis or something about like the science behind it. Or I was doing like a Canva graphic with just like, you know, something random on it. And then I would, something kind of eye grabbing, but not, not in the world of Instagram. To me, it looked pretty, but it was just like another Canva graphic. Now it's more like, you know, really thinking about sharing pictures of myself, but then what's the message behind the picture? Like, what am I doing in it? Or what is it trying to accomplish? Or if I'm doing an infographic, then it's like, trying to get some information in the infographic, but balancing it with what's in the caption too, you know, so people like, oh, this is a really interesting thing that I'm talking about, like, you know, um, food sensitivities, but I'm also bringing them in with, I'm bringing them in with with the graphic or the picture, and then I'm talking about it in the caption. So really kind of like figuring out, you know, more cohesive kind of layout versus like just being kind of sporadic. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really interesting how many people do the non-congruent, like, I've got this random photo, but my caption's going to throw you off and be like, wait, I didn't yeah. think this photo was going to lead to this story in the caption. Like, where is the connection? <laughs> right. No, and it's and I struggle with that because, you know, I think that's kind of like a trend on Instagram where people will just post a picture, a really awesome, good-looking picture, but then their caption has nothing to really do with it. And I like, didn't really resonate with that. I'm like, but that doesn't make sense. Like I can't, like, I can't do it. It just doesn't make sense. So it works for some people, but for me, it didn't resonate. So like when I would try to do that, I just didn't feel good about the content that I was putting out. I was kind of just doing it to do it. So I think that's also part of like really figuring out what works for you and what you feel good about posting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing that. And a big (laughs) part of like what we're talking about is essentially just getting started and you're going to have to get started imperfectly having a system and stuff in place is helpful, but oftentimes you're just going to have to do it. You're going to have to just get used to posting stuff. It's not going to be good at first. You're going to learn like Jen did what works and what doesn't work. So the method that a lot of the people enrolling in the program learn really start to embody early on is like starting imperfectly. So can you share what starting imperfectly looked like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think even now I have to remind myself to to share imperfectly because you're never going to feel like things are perfect. I think, especially my type of personality, I'm kind of, I call myself closeted type A. I'm not outwardly type A, but really like I, I kind of am. And so, you know, I want things to be perfect and make sense, but then you can get kind of in this state of overwhelm where you're like not doing anything because you're just like, it's not perfect. It doesn't make sense enough or whatever. And so you kind of just have to look everything as like a lesson. Like you, you post something, maybe it, 
we'll get a bunch of likes, maybe it doesn't, but then what you get out of it, is it the likes or not? It's the lesson. Like, okay, so this worked, I got engagement, people DM'd me, whatever, whatever it is, you're learning from that. And that is really what the outcome should be, not like the actual numbers in, in metrics itself, but really what does it teach you? It should be what the ultimate goal is, you know? Yeah, for sure. Always lessons, never failures. Every time it's a lesson, it's a lesson. So great reminder, Jen. And can you share um, how else you adapted that starting imperfectly? A lot of people also are overwhelmed with all the potential things they might need, like websites and so on. So is there any other suggestions you'd have for people to start imperfectly? Just know that you're going to catch yourself if you fall. You know, you can't like if something doesn't go the way you want it to, it's it's going to it may feel like the end of the world, but you have to have the confidence that you're going to figure it out. So like, you know, like, for example, I launched a, a group program last year. It was my first one. I had worked really hard on all the content and I made a big sto uh, story graphic and Canva for it announcing it. And I totally put the wrong date in it. And like I put like it was launching in 2019 when I put 2020 and I, I kept reposting this thing and I wasn't getting any feedback for it. And then finally one of my friends was like, did you mean to put 2020? And I was like, what, what do you mean? I had no idea that I, like, no wonder people weren't reaching out and engaging because I put it as like a year ahead. <laughs> and so, you know, it, but it was like, I was so stressed to put this thing out there. I was like trying to fit my own timeline in my head, like, no, I have to put this, I'm launching this date and I have to be by this time and this, this and this. And I didn't even like, I was just so overwhelmed by all doing all the things that like, it ended up not even working at all. So I think, you know, that's another lesson you learn. You just, okay, well, obviously I gotta, I gotta proofread a little bit better, but you know, maybe you don't necessarily need this fancy story either you know, maybe you can, you know, launch a more simple way and do a little bit more engagement with people who, you know, watch your stories or whatever like that, rather than like having to have all the things perfect and set in line in place, you know? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, thanks for sharing that. I know it's not a funny story, but I was chuckling over here because we've all done that. We're yeah, like... for sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you just got to leave it and let it be and just move on. I like what you said, you know, you just got to kind of just take it as it is and not, not take yourself too seriously. It's a good lesson because sometimes when For you sure. take yourself super seriously, it's like, Ooh, it ends up becoming yeah. crazy. <laughs> and then also like not holding yourself to these strict deadlines too much. Like, yes, you like, like I said, I'm closet type A. I want to have like a, you know, out by a certain time and have everything kind of in place. And yes, that can help. But I think also following it too strictly and too rigidly can, can not work in your favor too, because then you miss things or you could potentially miss things that, you know, going an extra day or an extra week behind doesn't make a big difference in the big picture, but it could in those small minute details, you know? Yeah, absolutely. One million percent. And this is another helpful mindset shift, especially for people that are getting on sales because people tend to overcomplicate it and really get into their own head. So since we were just kind of talking about content and stories mindset, I would love to switch it over to sales. So how do you approach sales now and how has your mindset shifted? So I think with sales, you have to really stand behind your product. And I learned this when I worked in restaurants. I worked in high-end, like kind of fancy restaurants and I would, you know, sell like 
bottles of wine that were like $400. And so, I mean, and I've, if I had tried that wine before, it was like a sip, right? At like a tasting where we all tried a sip of it. But I'm selling it like I know it. I love it. It's amazing. It's going to go really well with your meal, yada, yada, yada. Because I, you got to stand behind. I know it's a good wine, but mostly, you know, I want to make that sale. And so that's how I kind of looked at sales on Instagram was like, all right, when I was, you know, working in restaurants and selling these really fancy bottles of wine and doing it, what did I really embody? What was I doing that like made it kind of feel like it was a walk in the park? And you kind of have to like mentally put yourself in that place where like you've done it before. It's a different product. It was something different, but you've done it already. So I think with sales, you kind of have to think about what have you experienced in your life before, whether it's at a job or, you know, sports or whatever it is that made you feel confident. And how can you kind of bring that feeling back into this conversation here and, and use that kind of confidence that you've already had before you've done it already but now you want to like, you know, get yourself back into that, that mental space. So that's how Ooh. I kind of look at it every time. Whoa, Jazz snapped. This is deep. <laughs> I was not expecting the amazingness that just came out of your mouth. Like you're an amazing human being, but sometimes it's always <laughs> the most interesting questions that get the most powerful, profound responses. And this might be it out of all the times I've asked this question to people, this might be the missing key for a lot of people. And I say that because a lot of people are afraid of sounding too salesy and whatnot. And I often like push back, but you're an employee. You're often selling and pushing something for someone else. And the right. way you just landed with that was you got to ask yourself, when's another time I have done something like this, sold something, how to embody something. And then if you could channel that in your own business and live it, game changing. Yes, Jen. Yes. I love I mean, this. <laughs> and like, I don't have that many followers. I don't get a ton of like interest in my program. I do. And I get enough. And I've, I mean, I think there's only been like one or two sales calls that I haven't been able to make the sale on. Like almost every single call that I get on, I make the sale. And even though there aren't a lot of inquiries, it's just enough to get me to those those consistent months and, and having that $12,000 month where like, I'm really talking to the person they're they're interested, but I'm already like, I'm standing behind my product, you know, I know it'll work for them. And I'm really kind of embodying that like, I, I've done this before, this is really going to work for you, you're gonna love it. And that's how you kind of, you know, it's not, a, it's not necessarily about like how many miles you've ran, but like what you did when you were, you know, how you actually get those miles done, I guess. Ooh. Love it. Love it. I like, I see what you did there. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, this, this whole entire call has been so empowering. Like you just lit me up. I get like, people probably think this girl is so dramatic when she does these interviews, like just listening to these stories, like revs up my spirit and soul. I just love it. It just reinvigorates me for the next day. I'm like, yes, I have that energy yeah, Jen gave me. <laughs> So can you provide so some specific, fun. it is, it seriously is. And empowerment's a key piece of the dietitian boss method. So can you share like a specific example of how the dietitian boss method has empowered you and even maybe talk about how, what it's afforded you and things like that. 
So one thing I really liked about the dietitian boss method was how kind of structural it is. It's really easy to follow and hit those key points. Whereas like when you're trying to, you know, build something on Instagram or online, it can be really overwhelming when, you know, you know, you have to do all the things, but uh, it's almost like I have to do everything right now. And then you're trying to fit, you know, all of these things into 120 characters in your caption. <laughs> and, um, it can be really difficult. So what I liked about it was like, no, let's simplify it. Let's really kind of become more, co more cohesive, more, you know, directed. And that was really empowering because then I felt like I didn't have to do all the things. I felt like I just had to do very simple and, you know, I could still accomplish everything that I want to, but it doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles that I'm trying to put into it. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I know a lot of people, especially with what's going on now, they have a lot of work obligations, family obligations, and the last thing they want is something overly complicated. So the simplicity of having a method and something that's easy to follow, it can be really, really rewarding. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to remind you guys, you can find Jen on Instagram at the period renegade period dietitian. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this is amazing. It's so good to talk to you. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.